0: So today's our second Sunday of the Advent season, and as you you heard Lee and Sandy uh, read for us, it's a day when we focus on the idea of of hope. So let me ask you this morning, do you have any big hopes for this Christmas? How about hopes for the new year to come? Or broader yet, do you have any hopes for something that you'd like to see accomplished before you die, before you pass on into heaven? Or, Or do you try not to think that far ahead? Um, You know, the hope for big things is right at the heart of the second Sunday of Advent. And it's an integral part of what the Apostle Paul was trying to communicate in his first letter to the Thessalonians that we've been working through uh, and looking at. And we're going to continue with today. And so if you're visiting with us for the first time, uh, one of our commitments in this church is to work book by book, verse by verse through passages of Scripture. Uh, We've been looking at the book of First Thessalonians, New Testament book. About three quarters of the way through the New Testament. Cool part is all the T books are together. So if you find one of the T books, you're, you're in the right place. So I encourage you to open your Bibles. We're going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And I'm going to be reading to you verses 4 through 11. So we'll be circling back to just a little bit of last week's. And then move ahead this week a little further. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 4 to 11. And listen for the voice of the Spirit. and love and for helmet the hope of salvation for god has not destined us for wrath but to obtain salvation through our lord jesus christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep we might live with him therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing and brothers and sisters this is the word of the lord to us today thanks be to god and let's pray father you're word has been read in faith and heard in hope and so now accomplish through it in us all that you purpose it to do for the sake of your son and the salvation that he brings amen. amen so again just to kind of reset the scene for you or maybe to set it for the first time if you're just joining us at the end of the fourth chapter of his letter to Thessalonians Paul addresses the issue of what happens to people after we die uh, and then, as we saw last week at the beginning of chapter five, he addresses the issue of the fate of those who are still alive when Christ returns and what he calls the day of the Lord. And that idea day of the Lord is a very common theme, actually, in Old Testament scripture that Paul would have pointed this fledgling church to. And of course, I don't have time to read all of them in this setting. But just by way of example, the guys are going to put up on the screen here some references that Paul may have used that you can read later on your own. Uh, a list of scriptures that point to the idea of the day of the Lord in the Old Testament. And as I said last week, those passages usually convey a sense of of imminence and of nearness and expectation because the Old Testament passages referring to the day of the Lord often speak of both a present and a future fulfillment, as does much of Old Testament prophecy. Uh, And for you guys that uh, come to Bible study in Sunday school, you have kind of a leg up on this if you remember how we talked about when the prophets looked ahead down the tunnel of time, it seemed like they were often seeing the events in the life of Jesus uh, from his, his birth to his death on the cross and on into his eternal reign. They kind of saw it when they're looking down as one event, kind of like a hiker does when you look straight on at a mountain range and you see the peaks, but not necessarily the distance in between them. Uh, It's what Louis Burkoff in his book, Principles of Biblical Interpretation, calls the prophetic perspective or uh, the foreshortening of the prophetic horizon. This is what he said. He said the prophets often compressed great events into a brief space of time, seeing momentous movements close together in a temporal sense and took them in as if at a glance as a traveler does upon a mountain range in the distance. He fancies that one mountaintop rises right behind the other, when in reality, they are miles apart. This, he said, was the writing of the prophets respecting the day of the Lord and the twofold coming of Christ. And then when we get into the New Testament, the scriptures indicate that that same day of the Lord, the Old Testament talks about, will come quickly like a thief in the night. And so Christians must be watchful and ready for the coming of Christ at any moment. And apparently these Thessalonian believers that Paul is writing to wanted some clarity on all of that. And they had begun to make up some calculations of their own because I guess they assumed the best way they could prepare for Christ's second coming was by knowing exactly when he was going to arrive. Uh, And Paul is writing to tell them, you guys thought wrong. Because to begin with, it's a date that no one can know. In fact, Jesus himself said that he didn't know the date of his own return. And so even though various parts of Scripture seem to hint at a time, Paul insists that God would not give advance notice as to when exactly Christ is coming back, but that it will be really likely and yet as unexpected as labor pains on a pregnant woman. And so that leaves the question, if Jesus' followers can't prepare for his return by knowing its exact date, uh, how can we prepare for it? To which Paul writes quite simply in verse 6, he says, So then let us not sleep as others do, but keep awake and be sober. And along this same line, I want you to kind of think back of Paul's other reference to the thief in the night analogy, too, that goes right along with this. I don't know uh, if you guys have ever been robbed before. But when, when we had, I know Vicky remembers this. When we had our store back home in downtown Washington, PA, the break-ins always seemed to come right in the middle of the night when we were far away at home and fast asleep. And even though we had bars on the store windows, we were generally unprepared for a burglar's nocturnal visit. But Paul doesn't want us to live our Christian lives that way. And and I think Pastor John MacArthur's commentary on this is really helpful here where he writes. uh, He says the whole human race, says Paul, is divided into two groups. Night people and day people. Night people, he says, are associated with darkness and sleep and drunkenness, while day people are associated with light, and alertness and soberness, showing us really the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian, a believer and an unbeliever, one who possesses salvation and one who does not. And so for those of us who are believers, our spiritual alertness for Christ's return reveals itself, Paul says, in the way we live, telling us in verse 8, but says we belong to the day, let us be sober. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love. And for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Meaning that those who are alert for Christ's return. That we act and talk and think the way Jesus did. And as though Christ were going to return in the next 30 seconds. Not only because we realize that the world may end tomorrow. But because we want to be prepared if it does. To which end the apostle says there... We not only act right, but we dress right. And I don't, know about, I don't know if you guys, you other fellows, have picked up this habit. One of the other habits I kind of picked up from my dad was always being prepared to jump into a set of clothes by the bedside if there's any nighttime emergencies. any other guys do that? Right? Uh, with all of my everyday carry stuff already in the pockets, ready to go. And in the same way, looking ahead to Christ's return, Paul says, keep your spiritual clothes ready. Keep your armor ready, because those of us who know Christ may return at any time also know that Satan will attack us until the very moment that he does come back. And so Paul challenges his readers and us to be prepared for that with the Christian virtues, the fruits really of faith and love and hope. Uh, and hope, again, especially is right at the heart of our Advent season, because brothers and sisters, if you are a believer, you have got so much to be hopeful for, even if you don't realize it, because our hope is not just wishful thinking. It is, as I said last week, founded and secure on the finished work of Jesus Christ. In fact, so much so, in my opinion, you could actually read that verse at the end of verse eight. And substitute our Lord's personal name for the word salvation there. So you could actually read the verse and for a helmet, the hope of Jesus. Amen. For the hope of Jesus. Because that's what salvation means, right? It's the same word the angel Gabriel told Joseph and Mary to give to their firstborn son as a name. Saying in Matthew one twenty one, and you shall call his name Jesus. Savior, for he will save his people from their sins. You see, that's our hope, because as Paul writes in verse nine, God did not appoint us to suffer wrath. One commentator said here, God hasn't chosen to let his adopted sons and daughters endure the hellacious condemnation our sin deserves. Instead, the Christian's sure hope is that God has graciously chosen to give us salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, that hope isn't just for when we die and go to heaven. And it's not just for the glorious appearing of our Lord, as great as that's going to be. No, it is for right here and right now, as Paul writes in verse 10, that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. That's right now, regardless of what is going on around us or what is going on in your life. Uh, And I realize the moment I say that, that's not always easy. Because for those of us who are looking eagerly for Christ's return, uh, even though we're doing that, the world can still be a really tough place. Am I right? Uh, you know, as Americans, we're headed into a new presidential year. and We're living under a cloud of deep political turmoil and division. Uh, for many folks, your economic situation hasn't gotten much better in this past year. Uh, others are beset by chronic illness and health issues that leave them feeling like their lives are out of control. All of us are called... Upon to cope with the deaths of people that we love, whether they're recently passed or maybe just more sadly missed this time of year. Uh, Some folks wonder about the well being of those whom we love who will survive our deaths, and others about the eternal fate of friends and family that don't know the Lord, until it can all start to feel like a little much. Unless that is, we stop looking for hope in all the wrong places and focus instead on the only place it can be found. Which is in the unchanging character of God and the unconquerable power of the gospel of his son. Which is why the Bible tells us in Psalm 43:5. it actually says rhetorically, Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God. Hope in God. Uh, is everything in the world the way it should be? No. Uh, is everything the way you'd like it to be? No. No. Uh, How about this one? Is everything in the the world the way it would be if you were in charge? No. No. Right? Uh, I, I always say, if everybody would just listen to me, the world would be a really great place. If everyone just do exactly what I tell them, I would have no problem. And yet the Bible says you can't become despairing and disturbed. And so the psalmist says, stop what you're doing and hope in God. And remember that he's your hope. That he's your help. And it comes from God as a gift of grace and not based on our own righteousness, but rather making us reconciled to God, even while we were still sinners. And Paul elaborates on this in Romans where he tells us, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in what? The The hope of the glory of God. And not only that. But we rejoice in our suffering. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts. Through the Holy Spirit. Who has been given to us. For while we were still weak. At the right time. Christ died for the ungodly. And brothers and sisters. That's you and me. Really demonstrating for us. That hope is a person and it's not a thing. Because there's a very big difference between. And I want you to hear this. There's a very big difference. Between hope in a specific outcome. And hope in Jesus Christ. And I'm going to give you a quick example of that. It's an incident that happened this week that Vicki will tell you. And I've shared with a few other people really got to me. Where a, a person I haven't seen in a really long time called to tell me about some personal struggles they've been having with the loss of a spouse a few years ago and about how lonely they are this time of year without any friends or any family to lean on to which I, I suggested of course they come back to church because they haven't been in a really long time uh, and, and maybe the Bible study not, not only for the teaching but also for the fellowship uh, and to my sadness their flat out answer was no and so I, I kind of probed a little deeper and then finally This person said from a very broken heart, you know, I've I've never believed anything in the Bible, Old Testament or New Testament. Uh, And besides, I can't possibly believe in a God who would let the two loves of my life die, even though I prayed every day that they would live. And he said, nothing that you say will convince me to feel otherwise. But do you see the difference between a hope that disappoints and one that doesn't? This person's hope was only extended so far as having his prayer answered by a god he really did not believe in anyway versus our hope in a living christ who was willing to tread the dark places of this world right beside us and better yet the darkest places in our place as believers are we sad when someone we love dies of course we are but that sorrow is mixed with the hope And the comfort to know that when Christ returns, if we and they are washed in the blood of the Lamb, we will be with them again forever in the blessed kingdom of His Son. You see, that's the gift of hope that doesn't disappoint. That's the message that doesn't change. The times may be different, but the message remains. And the task of proclaiming it remains. And it has not gotten any easier. And so we need to get started. And I tell you, honestly, right now the world is doing most of the work for us this Advent season because everybody knows when Christmas is they just might not know what it means beyond the gift-giving. And so it's our job to help people see, or perhaps to get ourselves to see, that there is so much more to it than that. Because, you know, when it comes to gifts, no matter how carefully we select a gift for someone, no matter how much money or time we spend on it, our giving will always be imperfect because it's only a shadow. It's only a symbol of that perfect gift we affirm each week in the Apostles' Creed, That gift conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Because the truest gift of the Advent season is that Christ gave himself for each one of us. Individually. Specifically. Even though it cost him everything. And that's the gift of hope in the giving of Christ. And so this Advent season as we prepare for that gift. That gift of experiencing once again how God claims us as his own through the manifestation of his son. We need to hear it. And to see it for what it really is in the effectual call of God this Advent. As he draws the people to himself out of the chaos of this world. And he calls us to make a bold statement. And a brave declaration that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then live like you believe it. Leaving room for Christ to enter the wasteland of our lives this Christmas. And for us to experience the freedom and the forgiveness that only comes from the awareness of that awesome truth that into this fragile and fallen world that seems always to be hanging by a thread came our God in the flesh. First as a tiny baby in Bethlehem. And then as a full-grown man on the banks of the Jordan. Suffering the horrors of the cross. Rising to the glory of heaven and someday soon coming again. And that's the hope and the promise that we hold on to. That we will be saved, as Paul said this morning, from the wrath to come. Which, if you remember as the course of this letter, is one of Paul's primary messages to the Thessalonians, and actually the whole point of the Christian celebration of Christ's birth. In fact, it's the whole point. Because if you don't know the bad news of God's impending judgment on the sin of this world, and more specifically on the sin in our own lives, then the good news of Christmas doesn't really amount to a hill of beans. It actually turns out to be a whole lot of work and worry for a very little return on investment. And in fact, it's one of the reasons, by the way, that so many folks feel so burnt out and depressed and stressed this time of year. Because way too often, uh, all we want to hear about is just baby Jesus, meek and mild in the manger. And the wise men and the, the angels and the story. And I, I do too. I love Christmas and everything about it. But if in our preaching and our presentation, we fail to balance the grace of the gospel with the judgment of God's law. Or God's righteous wrath with his relentless love. Or sin with repentance, the result is an answer in search of a question. In other words, yes, Christ was born in Bethlehem, but for what? What, what was the point to sell greeting cards and candy and Christmas lights? What, what's the point of the incarnation in the manger if there's no rift between God and man that needed mending? What's the use of the virgin birth if there's no sin bent to humanity that needed redemption? What's the whole theme of the Advent wreath really worth if it's not to remind us that Christ came to save us from God's wrath? That's the message of Christmas, church. This is the message of Christmas, that we have been saved from God by God. That the world of humanity owed God a debt we couldn't pay, and so he sent his son as a gift to cover the cost. But what good is a savior if no one thinks they have any sin? And church, that's where we're at today. And when we fail to recognize that we are sinners saved by grace, we trivialize salvation and make it little more than a God who just helps us through a personal crisis now and then. And it gives us something to sing about the holidays and to wish each other merry over. And when we do that, when we become satisfied with just that, can we really be surprised over the state of the world and the shape of the institutional church at large and its seismic shift away from the truth of Scripture? Though the truth is there's no way it could be otherwise. And so it's no wonder that churches with such a stunted view of salvation have lost their ability to call people to Christ. If there's no sin, who needs a Jesus? If there's no sin, who needs the church? If there's no sin, who needs to be saved other than from illness or poverty or unemployment or any of the other this world problems? If we're all okay just the way that we are, then who needs Christ when we've got government safety nets? And feel good sermons on the internet. And no commitment churches where anything goes. But instead for us the promise found in the Bible gives us hope. No matter what our situation. Real hope is there. The hope that Jesus Christ who loved us enough to be born into our human family is with us. And that love ought to give us hope. Because it demonstrates to us just how much Jesus cares for us. And how much the Father cares for us. And desires what's best. Since the Bible said he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all. Won't he also give us everything else? That's the hope that the Christ of Christmas brings. Not just as his first coming, but when he comes again. And so let me ask you, brothers and sisters, where is your hope for big things this Advent season? If you're not sure, I can tell you your hope needs to be in Jesus Christ because he is your only hope. And so I pray that you would trust it in today. Acknowledge him as your savior go to him to forgiveness and place your hope in the Christ of Christmas the Christ who came in the fullness of time in his first advent and the one who will come to us in his perfect timing at his second coming and then I I pray he'll come into all of our lives today and grant us hope and patience in all the circumstances that we face because brothers and sisters the time of shadows is over the sun is coming and so let us step out of darkness Keep awake and be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of Jesus. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live with him, and therefore encourage one another, build one another up, just as you're doing, as we wait and hope for his arrival, not this time as the infant in Bethlehem, but as our future blessed King.